Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, we're turning to 1 Kings chapter 19, continuing our study of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, let me just read uh, the passage through. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu to be the, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Amen. May God bless his word. So last week we left Elijah on top of the mountain, 
uh, scene of that amazing victory, that great triumph, where Elijah stood alone. He took his stand for God and he stood alone against 850 false prophets. God answered Elijah's prayer and sent down fire from heaven. Now we find him in chapter 19 and he's in a deep and dark depression. He's crawled into a cave in utter isolation. He's been under the broom tree and he's reached his limit. He's had enough. And his depression is so dark that he just wants his life to end and he wants to die. And sadly, this is not just Elijah's story. This is the story of so many people who suffer from depression and anxiety in their lives. This is the story of so many Christians. This is the story of so many Christians who are involved in church ministry and in leadership, who, like Elijah, will find themselves at times on top of the mountain and then at other times curled up alone in the back of a cave. You know, just in the past year, the number of uh, pastors or missionaries or, or, or Christian leaders that I've talked to and they've opened up and they've talked about the same issue, the issue of depression. It's a widespread issue. And maybe that's your story tonight as you sit here. Christians are not exempt from depression. Um, one in three GP appointments in Scotland relate to mental health issues. Twice as many women visit their GP because of depression or anxiety. And yet the suicide rate among men is three times higher. And that suggests to me that there is still a reluctance, particularly among men, to talk about depression and to seek help. Perhaps because there is still such a stigma associated with depression that it is seen as a sign of weakness. And what we learn from Elijah in chapter 19 is that depression, far from it, is a sign of weakness. Elijah was a spiritual giant. He was no novice in terms of his spiritual experience or where he was in his relationship with God. Just look back over Elijah's life and just think about uh, the things that we've thought about over the past few weeks. As we've made our way through these uh, few chapters in 1 Kings, you could, you could describe Elijah as a coper. Think of the things that he coped with in his life. The famine. Death. The death of the widow's son. Standing alone for God. Facing 
Ahab and Jezebel and the 850 false prophets. And you know, sometimes copers are just expected to keep on coping. And on the surface, it looks like Elijah is coping. But you know, there's an honesty about Scripture that I love. If this was my autobiography, chapter 19 wouldn't even get a mention. But there is an honesty here in terms of the problems, the issue that Elijah faces. We are reminded in in James chapter 5 that he was a man with a nature like ours. He was not some superhuman, but he was just like one of us. And when we come to chapter 19, here is an example of what can happen to anyone. When a person reaches their limit, when a person is absolutely exhausted, when a person experiences failure or discouragement, you know, people, we can only carry so much. That's true physically. You know, when when I go shopping with Rebecca, I tell her I can only carry so many bags. And it's true emotionally, and it's true spiritually, we can only carry so much. Well, as we look at chapter 19, I just want to think about three headings as we think about Elijah and his depression. I want to think about um, the the causes or or, or the build-up to his depression. And then I want to think about the character or or the nature of his depression. How did it manifest itself? And then thirdly, how God cared for Elijah in his depression. So let's think about the causes, the build-up to Elijah's depression. The, The first thing that strikes me in chapter 19 is here is a man who is physically exhausted. Uh, just look at the end of, of chapter 18. You know, he, he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He ran from Carmel to, to Jezreel. Uh, probably in the driving rain. Now I was trying to work out or find out, uh, you know, what was the distance of this run? And it was at least 17 miles. And then in verse 3, after he's run 17 miles and he gets this message, he's then going to run for his life. He's running again. And then verse 4, he goes a further day's journey into the wilderness. He's exhausted, physically exhausted. The second point is, this man Elijah had experienced a number of big stressful events in his life. The pressure of confronting Ahab The pressure of standing alone against 850 prophets. Living through the famine. Experiencing, you know, death. The widow's son. And then being blamed for causing that death. All this stress. All this pressure closing in around him. And suffocating him. The third point. He felt isolated. You know, that comes out of his prayer to God in verse 10. I, even I only, am left. No one to share his burden with. The problem of loneliness, that's a huge problem in today's society. I remember, you know, going to my grand's house as a, as a, a boy. 
And, you know, there would be neighbors just coming in and out of my grand's house. Our door was open all the time. And we've lost that sense of community. People are lonely. And loneliness goes deeper than that. People can be lonely even in a crowd. And here Elijah felt that loneliness. He stood alone and perhaps it was more perceived than real. There were others. You know, God mentions in verse 18 there were others that were loyal to God. But, but he felt this loneliness. He felt isolated. And then the fourth point, on top of his physical exhaustion, on top of the stress that he had been through, on top of his, his isolation, he experiences bitter disappointment at the beginning of chapter 19. Discouragement. How do you cope with discouragement in the ministry and in spiritual service? You know, I think at the end of chapter 18, Elijah had been expecting, after the success on the top of Mount Carmel, he had been expecting national revival to break out. And his disappointment comes through in his response to God in verses 9 to 10. He says, the people of Israel have forsaken your, gov- your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. There's been no response, God. Nothing. The only response he receives is a death threat from Jezebel in verse 2. Jezebel sends her messenger who finds Elijah and the messenger tells Elijah that Jezebel wants to run her sword through you, Elijah. She wants you dead by tomorrow. You see, this was a personal battle that Elijah was involved with. Jezebel, the very personification of evil and wickedness. You know, she was the the driver behind Ahab. In 21 verse 25, she is described as the, you know, inciting Ahab. She's the energy. She's She's the driving force. Now, you notice back in chapter 18 verse 19, when Elijah is giving his instructions, he says... Um, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at whose table? Jezebel's table. This is a personal battle against an evil foe. And Jezebel is pulling the strings. She is orchestrating things in the background. And it's just a picture of the Christian life. You know, um, Alvis read from Ephesians chapter 6 that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. That we face an evil foe far greater than Jezebel, a spiritual enemy. That we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. And it's a personal battle. Uh, Jesus said to to Simon Peter, Satan has, has desired to sift you as wheat. And so here is Elijah in chapter 19. He is physically exhausted. He has been under huge stress. He's lonely. He's isolated. He's disappointed. He's he's now feeling like a failure. And he's reached his limit. And he's basically asking God, what was Carmel all about? Nothing's happened. I've had enough. 
And maybe you can relate to Elijah. Maybe one or a number of these things have been converging on your life. Maybe you're here and you're physically exhausted. Maybe you have been through one or a number of stressful events in your life. You know, your, your, your job situation. Or a, a death in the family or, or a death in your circle of friends. Problems in the family, problems in your marriage or, or, or health related issues. But you've been through, you know, one or a number of stressful situations. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you feel you have no one that you can turn to. Maybe you feel that you are not involved in church. Maybe you're on the periphery and, and, and you feel, you know, church is comprised of, of cliques and you just don't quite fit in and you've got nobody that you can confide in or nobody that you can turn to. Maybe you have experienced discouragement in Christian service. Maybe you've been sharing the gospel or, or reading through um, the Bible with someone and you've, you've spent a lot of time doing it and they've suddenly turned around to you and you said, it's not for me. Or maybe going into a mission week or, or having been through mission week with the CU, maybe you expected great results and, uh, and maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you organized an event and nobody turned up for it and you're, and you're disappointed, you're discouraged. And you're asking God, what's the point? And maybe you're feeling like how Elijah felt here, that you've had enough. You've reached your limit. The causes. Let's move on. I want to think about the character or, or the nature of Elijah's depression. How, how do we recognize this? Well, in verse 4, chapter 19, he sits under the broom tree and it's his despair that comes through. He asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. He just felt that he couldn't go on. Things looked so black, so dark for him. But here's the important point. Things weren't actually as black and as dark as Elijah thought they were. And if he had got his own way here in chapter 9, if he had died, he would never have experienced the tremendous blessing that God had in store for him. This is amazing. God never intended... Elijah to die. He was one of only two in the Old Testament who would never see death. And here is Elijah in chapter 19 and he's praying for a hearse. Not knowing that God has got a chariot of fire lined up for him. And he's praying for a hearse. And we don't know what God has in store for us. We don't know what God is preparing us for and that the path of suffering or the path of disappointment that we are on may be an essential step for us in the school of God. That God is refining our character. That God is preparing us for something greater. And we need to be patient 
And we need to trust God. And we need to wait on God's timing. Secondly, not only his despair, but um, his withdrawal and his disinterest comes through in chapter 19. He wanted to be alone. You know, verse 3, he left his servant. And he, he goes out into the, to the wilderness, a day's journey, completely isolated. And, and you know, we, we need to, to watch for people who, who become increasingly isolated and, and on the fringes of things, who are becoming withdrawn. And his disinterest, he just wanted to sleep in verse 5. He lost his appetite. He, he didn't want to eat or drink. And then thirdly, he became focused on self. In verse 4, you know, he started comparing himself to others. For I am no better than my, my fathers, he said. You know, this lack of, of self-worth. Here was a man who, when Jesus lived, people thought Jesus was Elijah. And here he's comparing himself to the fathers. And, you know, we have a tendency to value ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. And we lose sight of what's important, and that is your value and my value to God. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, and he's referring to the weaker brother or the weaker sister, and he describes them as the one for whom Christ died. That is your value. That God called you as an individual. Christ died for you. The characteristics. And in the final section, just want to focus on this. God's care for Elijah. You know, I take great encouragement from this that God knew exactly what Elijah needed. He knew exactly what he needed. And he cared for Elijah in a most remarkable and most personal way. You know, I know there's a whole medical side to depression that I'm not qualified to, to comment on. Or, but God cared for, for Elijah, he, he ministered to his physical needs first. This man was exhausted. He needed rest. He needed to recover his strength. And God lets him sleep. And then God sends his angel to give him fresh food and water. And the second thing I notice is that God knew the journey ahead in verse 7. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. You need to recover your strength. You know, God knows what you need. God knows the journey ahead. I don't. But God does. This is God answering the problems that we don't know we even have. Giving them strength for the journey ahead. God knows your need. Then in verse 9, Elijah, once he has recovered his strength physically, he, he goes in the strength of that food, and he goes to Horeb, the mount of God, and he crawls into a cave. Now it's just interesting, when you, you read about people in caves in Scripture, they're either in the cave for one or two reasons. They're either frightened, 
Uh, you think of David on the run from, Samuel, uh, from Saul. Or you think of Lot. They're either frightened or they're dead. You think of the cave of Machpelah. You think of Abraham. You think of uh, Jacob and, uh, and all the others who were buried in the cave. You think of Lot. God asks Elijah a question. He asks him the same question twice over. Verses 9 and verse 13. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in the cave? Are you frightened? Uh, Are you you dead? It's actually both. Verse 3, he he ran for his life. He was afraid. And in verse 4, he wanted to die. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It was time for Elijah to be honest with God. And, and to stop running and to be honest with God and to listen to God. And Elijah answers God's questions. Verse 10 and verse 14. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. His despair, his disappointment, his, his isolation is all coming through. And he didn't really understand what God was doing. And he didn't see the bigger picture. And he didn't see, he didn't see it from God's point of view. And God instructs him in verse 11. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And then the Lord passed by. Three different manifestations of power. The Lord passed by. A great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. God was neither in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. You know, Elijah was used to the spectacular. But on this occasion, neither the, neither the wind, the earthquake, or the fire was sufficient to get him out of the cave. He needed something different. He needed something personal. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, that still, small voice. That's what he needed. An intimate, personal experience of God. And sometimes when you're on the mountaintop, the the place of success, wherever it is, with all the noise of the prophets and what's going on, you just can't hear that low whisper, that still, small voice. You can only hear it when you're in the cave. And then God encourages Elijah in verse 15. You know, he he reminds Elijah that he is sovereign, that that he's in control. You know, the, uh, the people that seek his life. God tells him to anoint another king. He's the God who is sovereign. He's the God who's in control. In terms of his isolation, God says to him in verse 18, 
Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal. You're not the only one, Elijah. And then a protege, someone who will never leave him, Elisha. Think of where Elijah was at the beginning of the chapter. And now think of this revelation of God to him at the end of the chapter. The darkness that he felt. And maybe, maybe tonight you're, you're, you're where Elijah is. You're in that cave of depression. Exhausted, stressed, lonely, isolated. Disappointed with God maybe. Maybe discouraged, fresh from a caramel-like victory. And, and nothing seems to be happening. And you're asking, what's the point? And you've reached your limit and you've had enough. God knows what you need. God knows the journey ahead of you. You don't. And you could be praying for a hertz. And God has a chariot of fire lined up for you. And God is a God who cares for his people in a remarkable and complete way. And maybe it's time to be honest with God and just to listen for that low whisper, for that still, small voice speaking to you in your life. May God bless his word. Just close in prayer. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We just thank you for what a great God you are. And we just think of the way that you ministered and cared for Elijah. And Father, we just pray that you would minister to each and every heart in your presence here tonight. And just pray that the Holy Spirit would take your word and apply it to our lives. Father, we just think of the things that we've thought about tonight. We think of uh, uh, Nigel's presentation. We think of... uh, Uh, the RGU Mission Week coming up, and we we commit these things to you, Father. Thank you that you are a God who is sovereign, that you are a God who is in control. Thank you that you are a God who is all-powerful. And, Father, we just pray that your blessing would be upon these things for your glory. And uh, we just commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.